there is a parenting seminar that we're doing and that decision-making seminar. If you're trying to make a decision between those two, you know, unfortunately you can't go to the decision-making seminar to figure out that choice, but you can. <laughs> I give you this, at least. If you're a parent currently, if you have kids, if you're pregnant, you know, I would, I would urge you to, to make plans to go to that. It's a free seminar, um, and Dr. Nathan Lewis, who's presenting it, he has spent his life really teaching and instructing people on marriage and family dynamics, and he's been studying some trends in our culture. And basically what he's going to be sharing in that seminar is his, the findings of these trends that he's seeing and how, how to counteract those things as parents. Um, so it's really important that you, that you attend that. Um, if, and if you've got some friends that aren't part of a church and you'd like to, you know, they're parenting and they're, you know, you, you think it would be helpful to them, bring them along with you. It'll be at the Orange Terrace Community Center in one of these two rooms beside us. There's child care as well. The decision-making one is focused on um, how do I make decisions? What are all the tools that God, you know, provides for us when it comes to making a decision? Oftentimes it seems like, um, you know, a choice or a crossroad comes up in your life and you look and you make, you know, you just think, oh, whatever makes sense to me. Well, God has so much more to say about just using your own sense uh, when it comes to decision-making. So um, that seminar is going to be just looking at all the resources and knowing how to make wiser choices so that when you do make choices on the front end, you, you, know, you can on the front end have some certainty that you're, you're making, now there's faith involved, but you're making the wisest decision. So uh, I really hope you'll attend one of those two seminars. Um, by sign, you know, and if you could, sign up, A or B, depending on which one you like to go to. So um, today, you'll notice we're doing something slightly different for a little bit of this uh, message time. We're going to be having a, a, a time where one of the couples from our church is going to come up and share with us and just dialogue with me about these last few messages. Um, we've been looking at the money margin, which is um, a financial series. Um, we've been looking at what does the scripture as a whole have to say about this whole area of stewardship and finances. And anytime um, you know a church talks about money, um, there's just lots of questions from all of you know everybody you know in the audience. So why is it, why is he talking about this? You know, I know what his agenda is. Maybe you've thought some of those things. And so um, what I wanted to do was. Um, talk about probably the most sensitive, the most touchy area when it comes to finances, which is known as the tithe. Uh, for Christians, this is um, an act of worship, is giving God back a portion, a tenth of, of what he has given to us with our income, or to give back to him. And you know, that's, that's a really, really touchy topic. Um, we talk about it, I, I do as a pastor, because um, that's what the scripture says, and that's part of my role is to share what all of what scripture has to say, but... I recognize that it, it can seem very one-sided, so I wanted to give you at least the opportunity to, to hear from a couple who has wrestled with this very issue and um, have some things to share about it. So I'm going to invite them to come up. This is Stefan and Dina. Let's give them a round of applause before they come. And let me get this. So, yeah, you may recognize Stefan and Dina. They've been part of our church, um, gosh, since just about the beginning, I think. Um, pretty much grand opening time. And so, um, 
But Stefan and Dina, they live here. They live in Woodcrest. And they, uh, Stefan is a veterinarian. Um, and before that, he was a police officer um, for about eight years, I believe. And so, ten, ten, ten years. I think we need we check, need this mic check, too. Check, check. We need Cody's mic up too. Um, so, Dina, she's um, she's also working alongside her husband in their practice um, and the veterinarian practice, and so she's also you know worked on a degree in counseling as well, and so. I'm glad they're here to share with us. Um, just get into it. Briefly tell us a little bit about your church background. Specifically, uh, when did you guys make Jesus Christ the boss of your life? Well, aside from growing up, I, we, we, I didn't grow up in a church background. I went to church with the neighbors here and there. And, um, but um, shortly after we got married, um, we decided to make Jesus the boss of our life and when we were baptized together. And we decided that's the way we were going to go, about 2000. Yeah, it was about 2000. And uh, I as well didn't grow up really in, in a church background family. We just um, kind of Christmas and Easter sometimes. So that's about uh, the extent of that. All right. So within the last 10 years, they've you know, begun this journey of walking with the Lord Jesus. And so um, but over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this. You know what the Bible says about giving, and specifically one of the principles that we've looked at a few times is the priority of putting God first above all else, keeping Him first place, even in your finances. And um, we've looked at you know that the area of the tithe, the ten percent, um, giving back to God. And when you first started hearing about the tithe, what was your what were your initial reactions? When I first heard about the tithe, I was uh, quite shocked. I thought, 10%? You've got to be kidding me. Uh, there's no way. There's, there's no way I'm going to part with 10% of my money. It just seemed like an, an astronomical amount. Um, it was shocking. I was, it was uncomfortable. It just seemed like, how could I possibly do that? I can't even make my bills. And, and you kind of came around first. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, the, the pastor at the time challenged me to um, start somewhere give something, commit to something. And I thought, all right, I can commit to that. I'll commit to something. And uh, I didn't really want to make a percentage out of it, but, uh, you know, I, gave, I, I committed to giving something, and that was my beginning of regular giving. All right. And Stefan, what was your initial reactions? I think for me, uh, initially, I was uh, suspicious. Um, I, I didn't know what the money was for. I didn't really have a... Well, I was new to church anyway, so I, I didn't really have a heart for just giving up my money that I worked very hard for. And uh, uh, initially, I was, I was very skeptical, and, and uh, I remember she was telling me, you know, what do you think if I give this 40 bucks, you know? And I remember sitting in church in the chair saying, you know what, I, we, we had separate accounts at the time, you know, it was early in our marriage, it's changed now, but um, <laughs> we, she had her money, I had mine, you know, and I said, well, hey, if you want to tithe on your money, you know, that that's, you, you can do that. You know, that's fine. But just, uh, you know, I, 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 I was really, really resistant. And, um, you know, it, it, was, it was my money. That's just, you know, that's, it, I'm sad. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I mean, it just yeah. is not something and that I... Tell us a little bit about when you decided to start tithing. Why did you start, and then just what did that process, because it really is a process, I believe. What did that look like for you guys? Go ahead. Um, when we began tithing, it, it, we really, um, I wanted it to be a, 
husband and wife decision. You know, I, I was just done tithing on just my stuff, and, and I really, I thought it was important that we, we come together on this. And so I really, you know, had been praying about it, and, you know, God changed his heart. And, and, and it, it sounds like, you know, it was just a, a quick um, switch, but it wasn't. It was a process of, you know, giving here and there, giving a little bit. Um, and then we just at, at one point had decided, he decided, okay, we are going to commit to this. We are going to give a tenth of our increase and um, of our income. And um, we began doing that. Uh, it sounds easy, but that's not how it went down. A little more argumentative, I suppose. I was, I was really resistant for many, many years. And uh, it wasn't until uh, I really started to see a, a, a bigger purpose for the tithe. It wasn't just... Um, you know, the money that comes in to pay for, uh, you know, the donuts in the back or, or to pay the, the electric bill, on, you know, uh, b- those bills need to be paid. And uh, at, at the time, I mean, I honestly sat out there thinking, you know, there's plenty of people that come here all the time and, and, and they can pay the bills and, and, you know, pay for that. I, I, I really, I didn't give any money for many years. And... Um, over time, I started to see how uh, things, uh, wh- where the money was used for, and I would see examples of where the money was going. And, and it wasn't just to pay the light bill or to pay the rent or to pay for the donuts. It was more of, uh, you know, missionaries, people going out. And then we'd see videos in church about how uh, people were being touched, not only, you know, overseas, but just even in the community with backpacks mm-hmm. or food or... Um, school kids, you know, that don't get anything, and part of this money's going out. So you just you see huge amounts of resources going out, and I just it started to click over time that, you know, the money that I'm given, as little as it is, um, together really creates a big, huge resource for touching other people. And when you touch other people from this area, then. Uh, you know, you really feel like you're making a difference for a lot of people. And, and um, you've kind of, so you've come uh, full circle in, in, in that original just thinking. Um, but maybe you can share just a little bit of how difficult it is to remain faithful in the area of giving. You know, that's, that's a constant challenge. And so how, how do you stay faithful? What do you guys do? I think just like any challenge, you know, marriage is a challenge, parenting is a challenge, but we don't just give up and say, oh, you know, forget it, I don't want to be married anymore. Well, sometimes it feels like that, but we don't go there. And, and I think we both remind each other that um, we've made a commitment. We've made a commitment to be married, so we're going to work through this. We've made a commitment to tithe, so we're going to, to work through this. Um, and because we give off the top, the very first fruits, we don't at the end of the month go, oh, well, there's nothing left. We've committed to giving God first. And, um, and I think that commitment is what has made the difference when we're going through challenges. Well, I mean, I started off giving, you know, what was left, you know. I reach in the wallet and go, I, I got ten bucks. I mean, I, here you go. And that might have been, you know, one uh, percent or a half a percent of what I made that month or whatever. But that's kind of the thought process that I had was, you know, I, you know, I'll give a little something. And at least it was a beginning. But, uh, you know, over time, it really changed to first fruits. And so we started 
saying, okay, this is what we bring in every month. This is the 10% that we're going to give. And the commitment for me was, was a little bit easier for me because it's pretty black and white, and I'm kind of a black and white kind of guy. So I could see 10% of my income, I could, I could send that back and know that that was an achievable goal for me. Whereas in my faith at the time, I might not pray every night or I might not do right as, uh, you know, by following Christ. But I could tithe 10% and I could make that happen. And so that's kind of early on, I kind of really grasp onto that as something that I could say was for me moving ahead in the right direction in in growing in my faith. And maybe just to wrap things up, maybe you guys could just share some of the ways you've seen God provide, some of the protection, um, and just overall, how have you experienced God's favor through remaining faithful in this area? I'll start. Um, when uh, <clears throat> there was a period of time where we, we had a couple of businesses and we were making pretty good money and we were tithing, but we weren't tithing on uh, the first fruits. Uh, we were we were, you know, massaging it a little bit, and then, okay, here, here's what we're going to tithe on, which was still significantly more than what I had ever thought that I would tithe on. So um, there came a time, though, in, in overtime where we decided, we made a decision that, you know what, we're going to tithe on first fruits, actually first fruits. So whatever we get, regardless of taxes, regardless of what has to go out, regardless of where it goes, the first fruits is what we're going to tithe on, and that's kind of the, the decision that we made. And since then, things have really changed, not just financially, but areas of favor that it, I mean, we could sit up here all amazing. day and, and, amazing. and describe things to you, but um, it's overwhelming. doors just open that, that probably wouldn't have opened. They might have opened anyway, but I don't know. But since we decided to make this decision to tithe, um, doors have opened that, you know, we say are favor because of the decisions that we've made to give. And, uh, you know, it, it just keeps coming. You know, it just keeps not necessarily financial, but we are open to seeing the favor in different areas, mm -hmm. whether it be financial or, um, I, I mean, mm -hmm. just... You look at it on paper and, and you just think, oh, it just, that just wouldn't work. That just wouldn't work. Whether it was financial or our relationship or, you know, whatever. That just, oh, that, you know, mm, that's just not going to work. And it just seems like time and time and time again, God works it out. You know, our 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 life has just been blessed with um, with God's grace because we've been faithful and um, we've seen God's faithfulness back to us. Um, you know, it went from giving a little and going, oh, man, that, that kind of hurts. That's kind of a lot. And we thought, all right, well, but giving is a sacrifice. That's important to, you know, just what was the last month or whenever. Well, a couple of months, a couple of months back, I was uh, figuring out my tithe check because we have my regular income from the practice that I work at and then my uh, business as well. So I figured out the uh, tithe on the business income and and I, I had to redo the math because it seemed like so little. He's like, is that all? <laughs> and uh, I, I just thought it kind of came to me at that time that, you know, this is very strange because, you know, I wouldn't give anything for years. And now with what I'm giving, 
I, I have to recalculate the math because it doesn't seem like enough. I mean, that to me is uh, <laughs> huge. Uh, well, it's huge, but it's crazy to me because um, I was very hesitant and resistant in the beginning to be in, in a position now where my heart says, you know, redo the math because that's not enough. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's just kind of where we're at now. So, yeah. Well, I'd encourage you, I mean, this is, we're done with this portion, but I, I'd really encourage you, if you've got specific questions, you'd like to hear more stories, whatever, you know, just come and talk to them. There's other families that you could, you know, check, check on this, with this area, because in your small groups, for those of you that are in groups, this is a really, really difficult area to put, uh, you know, that God puts us to the test in. And um, it, it's not easy. And it doesn't matter if you're, um, you know, a business owner. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you're a missionary. I mean, but God, he requires this of us. And, and um, we don't want to sell him short in, in any area of our life. Specifically, this, um, the, the scripture attaches more consequences to this area than most other areas in life. And um, so, you know, uh, I just want to add... You know, the Bible says, test me, right, you know, with the tithe. And uh, in the beginning, I have to, you know, confess that I was like, okay, here it is. You know, let me see it. And uh, <laughs> I, I did see it. And so, I mean, this has taken years, right? I mean, we've been married 10 years. And, and uh, for the first couple of years, it was like, you know, do what you want. And to now, I'm like, hey, you know, we're given 10%. I hope you're on board with that. <laughs> and uh, so, <clears throat> my point, I lost my point. <clears throat> I'm not a mind reader yet. <laughs> anyway. Well we'll, well, we'll let him complete that to you personally. So uh, thanks, guys, for sharing. Appreciate it. We're going to do a quick shuffle on the stage real quick, and then we're going to continue. for being patient with us. All right, well, we, yes, we still have a message. There, it's, uh, there's still time. So you can always give a pastor a little bit of time. So. We're, we're wrapping things up today, though, on this financial message, and um, we're going to look at how, how do I move forward? I've laid out the scriptural principles on priorities and um, on being generous, on sharing, on saving, all of that stuff. And now the big question is, where do I go now if I've... And also getting out of debt. We talked about that for the first week and the importance of that. Because if, you, if, you're, if you're deep in debt and there's no margin at all, then these areas of, of saving and giving, you know, that's just the margin is lost. And so it's very, very difficult to obey God in certain areas. But to wrap things up, we're going to kind of look, okay, look towards the future and it's, it's interesting. None of us really know what's going to happen in the future. We all would agree that none of us can tell you know, the future. But we really feel like we've got a pulse on it. We kind of generally all think that you know, 
we kind of have a feel, just by looking ahead slightly, that, that we can see what's coming up before us. And, but, back in 2006, you know, I don't know that, that any of us really saw, 2005, 2006, what was going to happen with our economy, you know. Um, our economy has just been devastated these past few years. And, you know, some people are saying, oh, it's, it seems like it's starting to stabilize, it's getting better. Others are saying, you know, it's, it's not even over yet. And so um, what I want to do is just start by looking at the way that we respond to advice when people talk about how to approach, our fu- approach the future. And so we've got a, a, just a summary of some video from, I think, some CNN videos from back in 2006, before the economy tanked. Okay? Certain people saw this is headed in the wrong direction and we, we need to be prepared as a, as, a, as a country. And I want you to specifically pay attention to the responses of other people who didn't agree with this conservative uh, fellow. Let's take a look. Consumers going to slow down in order to rebuild the savings. And you know that two-thirds of the American economy is driven by the consumer. Do you believe that? No, I don't believe any of it whatsoever, Michelle. Excuse me, but... You know, what he's saying is that savings is way down in this country, but wealth has risen dramatically. The United States economy has never been better shaped. There is no tax increase coming in the next couple of years. Monetary policy is spectacular. We have freer trade than ever before. And not only that, but there are no incomes policies things here. I think Peter is just totally off base, and I don't think it's going to be... I mean, I just don't know where he's getting his stuff. The well, one of us, is, one of us is off base, but it's, it's definitely not me. I mean, it's not wealth that's increased in the last few years. We haven't increased our productive capacity. All that's increased is the paper values of our stocks and real estate. But that's not real wealth, no more than the NASDAQ was wealth. When, when you see the stock market come down and the real estate bubble burst, all that phony wealth is going to evaporate. And all that's well, going to be left is all the debt that we accumulated to foreigners. Peter, uh, I'm going to take a that. bet with you on this one. I'll, I'll bet you a penny on this one that if you'll sign a letter saying that if you're wrong, you'll, you'll sign a letter that you were wrong to me in this. But you're just way off base. There is nothing out there that tells us we're going right. to have a nice slowdown, but it's not going to be a All right, crap. let me ask you this. I'll bet you a lot more than the They're completely unsustainable. They were bid up to these artificial heights by a combination of temporarily low adjustable rate mortgage payments, by a complete you know, absence of any lending standards, and by speculative buying. And what's going to happen in 2007 is a lot of these artificially low arm payments are going to re- be reset upward. You're going to start to see uh, both the government and the lenders <coughs> reimposing lending standards and tight up on credit and you're going to see a lot of the speculative buyers turn into sellers and these sky-high real estate prices are going to come crashing back down to earth. I, I, first of all, I have no idea what Peter Schiff is talking about. I agree with Tom. I think they're going to be up probably up to about 10%. What artificial lending standard are you talking about? What's word to Peter? Most of the profits that people have in real estate are going to vanish just like the profits in the, in the, in the dot-coms in 1999-2000. It's a fantasy. People can't sell their house. The inventory are exploding all over the country. Houses are on the market for six months a year. There's no bidders. So, uh, the price right. is going to fall through the floor. You guys I, are polluting yourself. We heard it. We heard it loud and clear from all of our palace. How, how many of us may have been watching, thinking there's no way? Just like these guys are laughing at him. You know, he's the voice of, of truth and reason, and, and they're they're mocking him. And, you know, anytime we're given advice or we're given warnings about the future, there's all sorts of possible responses. So what I want to do before we launch into how to move towards the future, just lay out four principles that 
the scripture says we need to pay attention to as we're approaching the future. Um, so here's the first thing. According to the scripture, when, when we're looking towards the future, there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. Looking ahead is good. Worrying is not. That's what the scripture says. It's good to look ahead. It's good to plan. But worrying about it is not. Proverbs 27.12 says, The prudent see danger and they take refuge. But the simple, they keep going and they suffer for it. You know, and that's kind of what you see in that, in that interview. You know, this guy, he's saying, hey, I see something coming. We need to take refuge. We need to stop spending. We need to pay down debt and we need to start saving because something bad is coming. And then everyone else, you know, the simple just keep going and they suffer for it. How many people in our, in our, you know, around us are suffering because, you know, we didn't take heed to the warnings. And so we need to we need to approach the future. We need to take a look ahead, realizing that we're we're kind of in this raft. We can't just be in this raft, this big life raft, that's going down these rapids and fail to realize that there's cliffs that we we may go over. We need to take heed to warnings. He's you know the scripture says the prudent see danger and they take refuge or they hide themselves in a sense. They don't just leave themselves open, wide open, for pain. The simple, on the other hand, the simple, the Scripture talks about, they're gullible. They believe everything. They're very open-minded and everything. And so they choose to just ignore warnings. They keep living with little regard for the future. They continue to spend frivolously. They, don't, they put off savings. That's what it means, to, according to the Scripture, to be simple. But Jesus, He says, we've got to look ahead. But be careful that in your looking down the road that you're not worrying. He tells us in His longest sermon that's recorded in in the Bible, where he deals with a handful of topics about life, he gets to, to this point in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 through 34, and he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The things he's talking about are the stuff of life. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What am I going to wear? And he's saying, I know you're concerned about all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness. Seek God's kingdom. Make that your priority. Put Him first in life. And then all those things, the stuff of life, God knows you need those things. They will be given to you as well if you'll seek Him first. That's the condition. Verse 34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have... I'm sorry, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Anytime we start looking into the future, even financially, and we start worrying about what could happen, what we're doing is we're borrowing trouble from the future. The verse goes on and says, you know, each day has enough trouble of its own. We've got enough on our plate to be concerned and worried about. We're not to be, we're not to worry though. It actually says, according to this verse, you know, not only does worrying waste energy and it, it you know, it's not worth it, but worrying is actually a sin. Scripture says, do not worry. Verse 34, therefore, do not worry. That's a command from Jesus. So anytime we violate that command, you know, we really, we, we're on slippery territory. So in general, when you're approaching the future, it's important to look ahead, but just, you know, don't get into worry. Don't let that run loose. The second thing is this, act in faith. When you're approaching the future, even financially, you want to act in faith. By obeying and trusting God. As you move ahead towards tomorrow, this is what we have to do. We have to choose faith. Faith can be described by two things. I'm going to trust God 
and I'm going to obey God. It's two things. It's trust and obey. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. It's a real simple statement, and I'm going to say the statement first and then explain where it fits in the Scripture. It says, we live by faith, not by sight. This is a perspective towards the future. We live by faith, not by sight. Paul, the, the writer of this book in the Bible, he's talking about his very existence, how his body is breaking down in life. And he says, you know, I'm getting beaten up in life. All of the ministry I'm doing, I'm really paying a price for it. And he's encouraging this church. He says, all that I'm doing, all the bad stuff that's going on in my life, it's for your benefit because you're getting this message that I'm passing on. And it's for the, it's for the benefit of all those that have not yet heard. That's a really good thing. So he's saying, I'm okay with the fact that my body's breaking down. And he gets to this point eventually. He says, because we walk by faith, not by sight. Some of the verses before this, he's talking about how all that we see right now is temporal. It's temporary. It's passing away. You know, there's certain things we can't see that require faith. You know, And the future is one of those things. We do not know what's going to happen financially in the future. So we have to move into the future with faith. There's no other way to live as a follower of Jesus Christ but by faith. And it looks stupid to the world. Anytime you start acting in faith and making faith steps, I tell you what probably the most difficult faith step related to our finances is what Stefan and Dina shared about, this area of giving. That's a major faith step, and that looks stupid to people in the world who are saying, that that doesn't make any sense. And Stefan even described just the, the reasoning and the process that involved but again, you can never move away from faith and please God. That's what Hebrews 11.6 says. It's impossible to please Him without it. We cannot do it. We can't please live in a way that's pleasing Him apart from it. Here's the third principle. is Use good sense in your choices. Good sense in the Scripture is called prudence. Um, and every day, you, know, you make choices. Some of them huge choices like, Who am I going to marry? Should I buy this house? Should I take this job? Should I establish this career and go to school? And those are huge things. But then you make smaller choices too. Um, but we cannot afford to make choices carelessly. And so when it comes to finances, you want to make sure that you're using good sense. Look at this verse, Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. It says, A house is built by wisdom. And wisdom, we looked at a few weeks ago, is wisdom is how, how God says life really works. So wisdom is, you know, He's describing, he says, this, you can build your house on wisdom. That's the foundation, how life really works from God's perspective. That's the top priority. Then it says, and it becomes strong through good sense. So you, you build on God's foundation. Then the way you strengthen your life, the way you, the way you build your life, is now with your choices, you don't act carelessly. You distinguish between good choices, wise choices, and foolish choices. You take the time to mull over decisions. You just... You don't carelessly decide. Financially, anytime we move into haste, we find ourselves in real, real trouble. Verse 4, through knowledge, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. God begins to build on wisdom and then good sense. He adds good things into our lives as as we'll build on the right things. People with good sense, they do this. They plan wisely. That's what the guy Peter Schiff, what he was talking about. You know, he was, he was looking ahead. So, we need to be looking ahead, planning wisely, getting advice from people who know the field of finance. Um, if you're trying to make progress down the road, it's, it's important to, to recognize that you do not have a corner on the financial market. There's other people who probably know more than, than each one of us in finances. 
whether it's real estate or investing or savings. Or, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing to get advice. It's a really good thing. There's promises attached to getting advice that, that we need to pay attention to. I remember when I was buying my, my home, I was talking to two people mainly. One was my real estate agent, and another was a good friend of mine who walked with God, a CEO from a, a, a large company, and he knew finance, my friend. My real estate agent, he knew real estate really well, but they were operating with different set of values. And what was really difficult for me was when, when I would hear one thing from my agent and one thing from my friend, I found you know, my heart would be drawn towards the things that my agent was saying. But these things over here, they resembled good sense. And I tell you, I, you know, I, sometimes I, made, I followed you know, sense, good sense, and other times I made decisions based on what I heard rather than acting in, in, you know, in wisdom. And there's, you, know, you pay prices for those kinds of things. And so we want to act with good judgment as we move forward. Another principle, stay diligent in the details. I'm not going to say a whole lot about this. Just look at this first. The, diligent, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Diligence comes from this word that means to cut. To cut through. Something that's sharp. It's like the precision that it requires a jeweler to cut and shape a diamond. You know, they got this diamond. Now they shape it into the perfect thing to really reflect its brilliance. That's what it means to be diligent, to be very, very careful and precise. And so financially, we need to think through, am I paying attention? Am I paying careful attention to my finances? Do I know how much I have? Do I know how much my expenses are? Do I know how much my debt is? Do I understand my interest rates? This loan that I've agreed to pay, do I understand how it really works? I mean, there's just, this requires diligence. So with those things in mind, here's what the scripture says about preparing for the future. There's really three issues, according to Scripture, that we need to be paying attention to. First is contingencies. Contingencies are emergencies or unforeseen problems. Um, Statistically speaking, 70% of Americans, so let's just say 70% of the people in this room, live paycheck to paycheck. Therefore, the majority of us are living one emergency away from financial disaster. And... So, and then also, 70% of Americans admit that financial emergencies in their lives are dealt with by swiping the credit card. But the problem is right now, in the economy that we're in, what has happened? The credit card companies, some of them have folded. Others have called you back and said, hey, I need to adjust your credit limit down to this because we're not going to give you more credit. Credit cards are maxed out. So the, the options that once were there in a, in a flourishing, abundant economy are not there for us. So we need a contingency plan. The tool is this. The tool is accessible savings and insurance. Accessible savings is is money that you can get to easily and insurance that will cover you in an emergency. You know, health insurance, car insurance, those kinds of things. Those are contingencies. It's important. The law requires that we have car insurance, but the law doesn't require that we have health insurance. But insurance... And savings is what helps us when we have those emergencies, those unforeseen problems. Look at Proverbs 27:12 again. The prudent see danger. They see the contingency. They, need the, they see the need for the contingency plan. And they take refuge. But the simple, they, they keep going. And they suffer for it. They ignore the fact that there are these problems that await. And they just blow right past those things. And they pay for it. 
Um, there's a book on the resource table I'd encourage you to check out. There's two of them. One's called The Total Money Makeover. Another one is like um, Financial Freedom. Something. It's a crown financial book. Both of those two books talk about how to establish a contingency plan. Real, you know, simple steps. But, you know, the first step, and most of them say, you need to have $1,000 saved away in the bank. And, you know, most of us don't ever just have $1,000 handed to us. You know, but you've got to grow that. You usually have to start and, you know, that might take five months of $200 a month. But a contingency plan involves some steps. Um, there's different approaches to how to build this. Um, but generally those books are going to say you need $1,000 in the bank. You need three to six. And then after that, you need to pay off debt. Work towards lowering your debt. And then third, work towards three months of savings, three months of income in the bank, there's, these are steps, though. You can't obviously just get there, but the prudent see danger and take refuge. You have to start where you're at. Without a plan for contingencies, uh, we act like the simple who, who, who gullibly moves through life assuming, you know, assuming everything is just going to be great. And we pay. The second issue to prepare for the Scripture says there's retirement. Um, the tool is longer-term, stable investments. This is something you can build over the years as the market grows. Um, Proverbs talks about this. It talks about four creatures that are very, very wise. And it says this. It says, four things are small on the earth, yet they're extremely wise. It's, it's an amazing thing. It's, ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. So, you know, you've seen ants and you've seen them do this. They come in your house and they're carrying away food. And you're wondering, where are they taking my food? You know, well, they're storing it up for when it's not available. Ants sleep during the winter time. And so they're storing up for the, for the following spring. They're storing up for when the winter's over. They've got their stockpile. They're, they're investors in a sense. And the scripture says they're extremely wise. I don't know how God did this, but certainly through nature and through his creation, he's given us some examples to pay attention to. But there's a day coming when you may not be able to work. There's also a day coming when people may say, we don't want you to work anymore. You might be forced into retirement. And you need, you need to have some money at that time. And so you've got to set aside some now. To get there, you have to begin early on in life. Put it in a place where your money can grow um, usually if, it's, if it is too accessible, then the interest rates are, are too low to really, um, to really help you. The younger you are, the sooner you can start, the better because of compounding interest. But if you're, if you're at a point where you're like, well, I've missed you know, the early days, what do I do now? Start now. Remember the ant. He's still storing up his food. You know, he's, he's still thinking about that long-term and so it's better to begin to reprioritize things now than to just arrive in the future and, and, and hope for the best. The third issue is this, is, to, is prosperity. Prosperity is, is how do I actually build wealth before I retire? And now this is an area that you have to have a real balanced approach. You need to understand what the scripture says. We're not going to take a lot of time on this, but the tool is shorter term working investments. You need to get money to work for you. The scripture talks about this stuff. You might be thinking, you know, this sounds too much like an infomercial, but the scripture deals with this, these issues. 
It talks about how do I prosper in life. And there's an example in the Bible in Proverbs chapter 31. And it talks about a housewife who is really working some investments. She is working and it prospers her family. Look at verse 16 through 18. It says, She considers a field and she buys it. This is, this is a wife, okay? She considers a field and she buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for the tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. She, she's investing in two different ways. One, she's investing financially. She considers the field and she purchases it. And then she's investing some sweat. She's getting, she's, she's working. Now, the interesting thing is if you look at the whole passage, she's got a husband, she's got kids, but she's also investing. And investing takes work. Um, this isn't a message about, you know, the role of men and women, okay? Um, and, and, what, how you ought to, to do this. But the interesting thing about this is that she sees um, her family, she sees how she can pitch in to be involved in this process. And as I was talking to one of my mentors about this passage, it, it's clear that you know this is a team, if you're married, it's a team thing. You have to work together. And But there are opportunities, there are seasons in life when um, when one of you may be able to come and just and put your money to work. You may be able to do something that will generate some extra income. And that, that can be a really good thing for your family to prosper. <clears throat> now, again, all the priorities that we looked at in the past, about put, putting God first, going after wisdom, those things all still stand. You, prospering isn't so that you can just go and now retire and cruise in life and, and let all the other priorities go. You've got to keep life in balance. And God's other priorities still stand. But there are seasons where you may be able to put some physical energy, emotional, mental energy into some things, some investments that, that will grow over time. Um, but generally, you just don't hand someone your money and then they come back with loads of it you know, and bring it back to you. Uh, generally, it requires some extra energy in short-term investments. Um, so the scripture talks about those areas. There's more passages if you'd like to talk with me more about it. Um, but here's two insights on getting ahead. Accumulate little by little. Don't wait for the windfall. Don't wait for the lottery. But accumulate little by little. Proverbs 13.11 Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Little by little. 53% of all lottery winners are broke within three years. I'm not sure why that's the case. But it's the case. (laughs) Um, so anytime you come into money, it's important to be thinking about putting some of that aside, making it grow, understanding that little by little it will grow. And then this, the last thing is, in times of plenty, store up more. That's what the ant does. In times of plenty, store up more. Again, ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summertime. If you hit a period when your business or when your earnings just jump up, and you find, wow, I've actually, I'm, I'm doing really well right now. Um, rather than upgrading your lifestyle, rather than buying a bigger house and, and buying nicer cars and nicer things, that is the point where you'll want to actually set some of that aside. In times of plenty, you want to store up more, pay off some debts, you know, think through your contingency plan, think about your retirement, all of that. And so, 
If this was your first message that you attended in this message series, um, I'd really encourage you to check out the previous messages so that it will give some balance to some of what we've said today. Um, and next week we're going to be looking through, we're going to begin to look through the book of Nehemiah over five weeks. And it's an Old Testament book that gives us a plan for how to address needs that we see around us. And um, there's a storyline that I want to draw out of that and then apply it to um, how we as a church can be aware of some things that God's doing, some needs that are around us, and how we can physically get involved in helping. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as the band leads us in, in uh, two more worship songs. Father, thank you so much for your love. We ask, God, that you would, um, as you've spoken to us about preparing for the future, Lord, we ask that you would um, give us um, some, some of our own steps. What, what, what is it you want me to do today? God, not just today, but what is it you want me to do in my life to, to, to be thinking ahead so that I'm not just um, you know, being careless or being simple or gullible. Lord, help, help us, Lord, in our understanding of how money works and how, you know, how we're stewards, Lord. God, I pray if there's some um, questions that, that we have, Lord, that we would do, do what it takes to get our questions answered about these areas, Lord. And um, God, would you also grow our faith? I, I, re- I recognize that this is a faith issue. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to trust you as we obey the things you said. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.